We are grateful for the many ways in which we've had people serve and care for our young ones, our little ones, our growing ones, and we are in a need for that again. As you know, we have, are coming out of COVID, and as we come out of COVID, we're needing to rebuild some things, and one of the things that we are needing to rebuild is our kids' ministry. We need to rebuild by, by stocking it with people who love kids and love the gospel and want them to come to greater uh, grasp of who Jesus is and why he means everything. And we're looking for teachers and assistants and helpers so that we can launch our fall program. Uh, We are in need and we need to rebuild. And so would you prayerfully consider your role in that, your place in that, how you might be able to serve? We are Carla, Carla in the back. Hey, Carla. Our director of children's ministry will be out in the lobby after the service and you can connect with her to learn more and ways in which you can participate and help with our young ones. We're going to tackle it a little bit differently this year. Instead of committing to the entire year, September to May, we're breaking it down into quarters. So if you're able to maybe commit to a quarter of helping lead or helping serve or teach or or love on some young ones and little ones and care for them and their needs as, as we rebuild this program, we'd love for you to connect with Carla. So please give that some consideration prayerfully and uh, get more information from her on the way out of here today. All right. If you would, grab your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 3. We have this Sunday and next Sunday to wrap up our One Another series, Cultivating a Gospel Community. And we're going to be looking at two passages in Hebrews, one in chapter 3 this week, and then one in chapter 10 next week. Hopefully you've been encouraged with the focus of this series on on these calls to one another. The calls to encourage and build up and strengthen and care for and love one another as we are following Christ. That the culture, the dynamic, the, the, the feel of being together here at Trinity would be marked by these one another's that we have considered. Today we're going to consider exhort one another. Exhort one another. So we're just going to look at two verses, and we'll, we'll set it within its context, but verses 12 and 13 of Hebrews chapter 3. Let's hear these words. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would do a good work in us now as we come to your word. How would you bring about conviction and comfort as we consider your truth? Spirit, would you work in us and help us to see the greatness of God and the awesomeness of his grace. God, would you do all of this, we pray. Be with us in the preaching, the hearing, the receiving of this, your word we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Three of my sons spent a couple of weeks at a camp in upstate New York, middle of nowhere, upstate New York this summer. And among the many things that they got to do during those couple of weeks, there was a lot of hiking. One of them got to hike for three days. They, they were vanned 
miles away from the camp, and they had to hike and canoe their way back into camp. There was a, a good handful of them, and they, they did that together. They, they had to, to hike and canoe and figure out and navigate their way back, and it was filled with all the kinds of things that you would expect it to be filled with. All the sorts of obstacles, the rain, the bugs, the exhaustion, the, the tired of each other, I'm sure, and yet at the same time filled with all the joy and the fun and the excitement of figuring this out together, encouraging each other and following the lead of those who are in charge. And you can imagine the sense of accomplishment once back to camp, having done this three-day hike in the middle of nowhere, upstate New York. They survived. They got back to camp. And what a journey. It's a nice picture of the Christian life. We're on this hike, and it's filled with all sorts of obstacles and all kinds of challenges, and we're together in that journey, on that hike, and we're trying to get to this great destination, and we are encouraging one another and and leading each other, and some of us are guides, and they can help along the way, and yet we all get tired of each other in some ways, and, and yet we need each other, and so we go about this journey. It's a good picture to think about as we consider, what does it mean to exhort one another? while we're on this hike. How do we go about exhorting one another? So, our focus this morning is the needed call to exhort one another, and we're going to consider it by answering these three questions. Why do we need it? Excuse me, what is it first? (laughs) What, what does it mean to exhort one another? Why do we need it? And then how do we do it? How do we do it? Let's jump right in. What does it mean to exhort one another? Well, first of all, it's strongly urging forward. It is to strongly urge one another forward. Let's take a moment to define it and describe it. Definition is just to urge strongly, to make a strong request, to appeal deeply, to instill courage and cheer. To exhort one another carries both with it a warning and an encouragement. Don't go this way, but go this way. This way is better. Don't go down this path. It's disastrous. Go down this path. It's better. That's exhorting strongly, deeply, intentionally, appealing to instill courage and cheer. It is purposeful and passionate pleading with one another about the course of one's life. To exhort one another means we are committed in this together. We're committed to each other together. We're committed to Christ together. And we're saying, let's go Christward. Sometimes we have to strongly urge each other in that direction. Let's describe it a little bit more. That's its definition. Well, first of all, when we look at the actual word for exhort, there's an intensity of the word that speaks to the urgency of the need. I'll say that again. There's an intensity to the word for exhort that speaks 
to the urgency of the need. There's a real, relevant, daily need for us to have an exhorting one another context. Notice in our verse 13, the dynamic of urgency. Look again at verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that no one, none of you, may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Every day, as if it's today. That there's no delay. That there's no time to waste. It needs to be a regular rhythm of the way we share this life together as the church. We don't just sort of eke our way through this life God has rescued us to in Christ. Didn't rescue you to something to just eke and float through it. Called us to go forward, Christward. And we are to exhort each other daily, encourage and warn daily to say the Christward path is better and greater daily. Every day. There's an urgency with it. And part of the urgency is also what we see in our verse, and that is sin. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is real. The threat is real. And it is overwhelming. It is destructive and damning. Sin is an ever-present threat ticking talking in our hearts. Sin never takes a vacation day. It doesn't accrue personal days. It's always active, lurking, lingering, wanting to derail and destroy. And sometimes we just, we we do a fine job of sort of domesticating sin, making it not seem as bad, as threatening, as serious. We, we do that to make it a little more palatable, easier to deal with, easier to maybe even justify. But sin is a threat, and it is real, and it is always. And it wants to dislodge you from following Christ. So we are called to exhort one another, to make strong appeals to each other, to not go down one path, but instead to keep following Christ. The exhorting is to stay the course, a sense of urgency, to keep moving forward. Now, some of you all, you know, with this rain and the, the, the overcast sky, we'll, we'll go home this afternoon, it's Sunday, and, and that ottoman like slips under your legs, right? And your feet go up and your head goes back. And next thing you know, it's Monday, right? For some of you. For some of you. There's no spiritual ottoman in the life between cross and glory. There's no sense that we can just sit back and put our feet up. Ah, wake me up in heaven. (laughs) Now, that would be kind of nice, wouldn't it? (laughs) The struggle and the pain, the hurt, the loss, the regret, the shame that we linger with, the fight with. But we also miss the joys and the growth and the celebrations and the hope and the anticipation. There's no spiritual ottoman for us right now. 
There's no checking out. There's no living as if we've already arrived. Exhorting one another helps us understand that life between cross and glory is one of striving. Not to earn striving because that's just the reality that we live in. Striving because God's already brought new life in us. Striving to live out the life that God has graciously given given to us. And and it's the striving that we are called to. And it is an encourage one another to keep striving kind of work that exhorting one another is. Many of us have tried exercising or changing our eating habits or our diet. And anyone who's ever tried it knows the sense of failure, knows the sense of the challenge of that. And maybe some of us also know the sense of accomplishing a a big change, whether it's exercise or diet. And, And many times that sense of accomplishment came because you had somebody walking along that road with you. Maybe as a partner in doing it or as one who is coaching you and, and leading you. Either way, you were able to do it because you had others with you championing the journey alongside of you. So it is with us and our life following Christ in the church. And we need to be together to stay the course. And we need others around us who know the ropes, who will help us along the way. We need to take seriously the call to exhort one another. To know that this is a striving that we are called to. I love two passages from the writings of the Apostle Paul. They kind of bookend a little bit of what we are talking about. The first is found in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. This is sort of in the moment reality that marks Paul's life. He says this, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He's not pulling out the spiritual ottoman right now. But one thing, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on the goal or the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul, who would have had any, you know, man, I put in the time. I've done a bunch of tours of missionary duties, and I'm, I'm, I mean, I've been leading people to Christ, and, you know, I'm starting to feel a little worn down, a little tired, a little, you know, okay. I did my, I did my, I did my time. I'm good. Peace out. No, he wants to keep straining forward. Christward. Now, the bookend of that, found in 2 Timothy, toward the end of Paul's life, last letter that he wrote. And what does he say? In verse 7 of chapter 4, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Brothers and sisters, friends, let us be Philippians 3 encouragers to each other so that we can celebrate the joy of 2 Timothy 4 moment in glory. Let's take seriously the encouragement that we have in Philippians and Hebrews 
so that we can together delight in that Second Timothy 4 joy at the end. Exhorting one another is a strong, deeply personal, passionate plea to keep going Christward. What it is, why do we need it? Why do we need it? Well, obviously, the urgency shows that we need it daily. We need it daily because of sin. But why do we need it? Well, if, if it's strongly urging forward, we need it because it's easy to turn back. It's easy for us. It's easy for our hearts to turn back, to turn away. The context in our passage matters. There's two aspects of our context that are important. It's, it's Hebrews itself and our hearts. Hebrews and the heart. That's a good band name, Hebrews and the heart. Because it flips the plural. You know, usually you would say Hebrew and the hearts, but I like the Hebrews and the heart, sorry. Um, <laughs> Hebrews, the context of Hebrews. If you were to read verse, chapter 3, verse 7 through 4.13, you'd see this whole unit, this, uh, this one big unit, this one big section that the author of Hebrews is drawing upon. And it's, it's, it's setting in the context of using the imagery of the wilderness uh, as that for the Christian life. And it draws on Psalm 95, um, which is written in a, a, a sense of, uh, it's written by David, and it's a sense of like calling on this past to be an important guide in the present. So in Psalm 95, we see them looking back to the wilderness post-Exodus, pre-going into the land of promise, and the people of God turned their backs on God. They abandoned God. They went the wrong way. They didn't strain Godward forward, and they didn't go into the promised land, but Caleb and Joshua. And Psalm 95 is saying, don't be like that. Keep going Godward. And now Hebrews is drawing on 95, Psalm 95, saying, don't be like that, keep going Christward. Psalm 95 is referred to roughly 19 times in those 29 verses. 19 times. Don't turn away. Encourage each other to keep going Christward. Don't turn back. Why do we need it? Because the context tells us that turning back is a temptation that we can face. And Hebrews is saying, yes, the journey is hard, but it is so worth it. Look with me at verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 3. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Now, I want to clarify something there. Falling away, that, that's not helpful in the English. The expression falling away feels very passive, as if it's just kind of happening. <laughs> like as if maybe there's even external factors that are feeding into this falling away. It's really more helpful way to put it would be more active. And it is active rebellion. It is active disobedience. It is a purposeful turning away. It's drawing on passages like Numbers 14 and Psalm 95 that speak to willful, intentional, purposeful, abandoning God, turning away from God. 
When the Old, in the Old Testament, the people doubted God, they preferred Egypt, and they turned away from him. Now, it certainly doesn't mean that one can lose what God gives, but, it, but rather more in the sense of reject what God offers. Don't do it. Don't play church. Take seriously what the gospel is presenting to you. That a sovereign God graciously saves sinners through the sacrifice of his son, a son who lived a life that we could not live and died a death that we deserved and overcame an enemy we could never overcome to give us a life we could never gain on our own. And this gospel is offered out, and, and this gospel says all who come to Christ, trusting in his life, death, and resurrection, will not be put to shame, but rather will be saved. And not only saved, anyone who comes to Christ through faith in Christ will be saved to the uttermost, to the very end, for all eternity, because nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That gospel is presented to you today. The call to live as a community of gospeled people, rescued people, saved people, is the, the call to live as the church. And part of that call is to exhort one another back to what it is that is the most incredible news of all time, and that being the gospel. So here we are. There's no room, no time to waste playing church. The call to you is to turn to Christ and be saved. And for those of you who have, the call to you is make much of this God who saves sinners such as us as we journey in this life after him. We need to be a people who exhort one another purposefully passionately, because turning away is real. The context of Hebrews is dealing with that very issue. The entire letter is warning a whole people, don't go back to the old way. Christ is here. He is sufficient. He is all you need. He is better. Live in light of that. And we, too, get to be that to each other. Christ is better. Live in light of that. Hebrews' context helps us see why, but so do our hearts. Our hearts are why turning back is such a threat. The root of all disobedience is an unbelieving heart. Look again back at verse 12. Take care, brothers and sisters. The plural there includes everybody. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. I know it's been said many times in many different contexts, but it's true. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. So let us take care. That is, let's carefully examine and understand and apply this reality to our lives. Verse 12 is calling us to be real and self-aware about our hearts and the danger they pose. To say, I'm fine. 
doesn't quite cut it. Maybe you are fine. Maybe you are fine. Maybe that's an accurate statement. But it could also allow you to hide out in the open. Maybe you're not fine. Maybe you're struggling, sinking. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you feel like doubt is clogging your heart. A culture, a context where we are busy one anothering, hopefully will bring that timely encouragement to the one who would feel safe enough to say, I'm struggling here. My heart feels weary and wobbly right now. My faith feels threadbare. And would we be a people, a place that would be able to come alongside and say, I understand. I've been there. Let's go to Christ together about this. We need to take seriously the reality of our hearts. To not fake that either. And take seriously the nature of sin in our hearts. So let's reverse engineer the work of sin. Look again at our two verses. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So reverse engineer that. Look what it does. Sin brings deception. Sin deceives. And in that deception, hardens. And that hardened heart is evil and unbelieving. And it leads to active rebellion or falling away. And it's a vicious loop, a vicious cycle, a vicious circle. And we so desperately need to be a people that care for one another, exhorting one another toward Christ. Now, hopefully by now we see the what and the why And you may be wondering, how? How do we do this? How do we then go about exhorting one another? I'll say it succinctly and then try to explain it. Compassionate warning, eager encouragement. How do we go about exhorting one another? Yeah, exhorting one another. Compassionate warning and eager encouragement. Sin is real, Jesus is better. Compassion and warning. Hey, sin is real in our hearts. It's in mine. It's in yours. Eager, eager encouragement. But Jesus is better and greater and sweeter and sufficient and strong and mighty and worth it. How do we do that? Well, we need, first of all, Exhortation that carries both warning and encouragement. We need both. Warnings, we need them to be honest and heartfelt and real and genuine and compassionate. And encouragements need to be Christ-centered, Christ-exalting, Christ-word in their aim. That we would have compassion for each other and joy for Christ. That should mark our one anothering. Let me say what would happen if all that gets a little bit out of whack. Let's say 
we have a church culture that is very eager for warnings, and there's minimal joy and encouragement that come with it. What is that going to do? Well, it's going to crush us all. It's going to crush us. Or let's say we have a church that never warns the seriousness about sin and only is focused on triumph and and heaven and and never gets real about the stuff that we ever struggle with. Well, what's that going to do? It's going to cripple you. It's going to cripple you. You're going to feel like a crazy person because you feel this turmoil, this struggle, and no one is helping you make sense of it. So you're going to feel like you're the problem and you're going to just give up. We can't have either ditch. We don't want to fall in either ditch. We want to stay on the path that is Christward. Because to be crushed is going to lead to despair. To be crippled is going to lead to disillusionment. None of this really is relevant or matters in my life right now. So exhorting one another in the way that we see the Bible lead us to see it is that it needs to be compassionate in its warnings. But also eager in its encouragement. Hebrews is a letter that could be simply summarized as Jesus is better. That Jesus is better. That he is supremely sufficient and satisfying for us in this long life between cross and glory. And that our exhortation isn't going to be dominated by don't go down this pathway. It looks like you're going down this pathway. I'm judging you. Don't go down this pathway. But rather that our exhortation is loud and melodious and, and the harmony and, and the sweetness of it is, look how awesome our King, our Redeemer, our Savior is. Look how sufficient the grace of God is for our lives while this journey is hard, while we struggle with sin. Look at how amazing God is that He is with us, that He draws near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. That that becomes the bigger sound, the bigger bigger song. Jesus is better when we exhort one another. While sin is real, and we must not let up on that reality, Jesus is better. In every way. It is a long road ahead of us. We will feel weary and worn out. We will tire of one another. We will have hearts that will struggle. We will also experience great and profound togetherness and joy. We also will see lives get saved. We will also see people grow and mature and go from receiving to leading. We'll experience all of it together. And along the way, let us be a people who exhort one another. Yeah, sin is real. But Jesus is oh so much better. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Without it, we would be so undone. 
Thank you for the good news that we have in Christ. Oh God, may our hearts soar with worship and wonder and hope and joy. And may our lives be happy and humble as we take into account all that you are and have done. And may we be a happy and humble and heartfelt people who are eager to exhort one another to you. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. This is a final scriptural thought as we go into our last song from a little bit earlier in second.